FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 470 of the podcast that goes snicked. Snicked, I'm your host, Jason, and it's happy thanksgiving. And terrible fun, and the episode's kind of late, and I apologize for that. It is, by the time this lands, it'll probably be right around a week late, give or take a day or two, and I do apologize for that. I know I have slipped a little bit from my weekly schedule, and there's just been a lot going on between getting the house ready for a pretty extensive remodel slash reconstruction, to uh, busy season at work, to some other personal obligations, to traveling for Thanksgiving, to having a getaway with the wife the weekend before that. It's just been, it's been a hectic month or two, but I'm going to try to do my best to get back on schedule. And this is an attempt I just got lost on a word. I got stuck on a word there. And apologize again. You know what? I'm going to quit apologizing. There's no reason for all that. I'm not quite that contrite. <laughs> anyway, actually, if you know me, I probably am. <laughs> but that's okay. Um, yeah, we're going to talk about just the last several weeks of Wolverine Comics, where he can be found, what he can be doing. And I just, I hope, you know, I was, my intent was to put this out uh, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, and to wish all of you that celebrate a happy holiday. But now I'm to say, I hope you all had a happy holiday. So from wishing to hoping, um, hope everyone is able to stay safe and, and stay well and spend time with family if that's your bag, or by yourself, or friends, or, you know, whatever you like to do on your long weekends, if you got them. I don't know if all our friends across the pond get all that stuff or not. I have no idea. Um, but anyway, uh, just hope everyone's doing well. And with that, we're going to jump into some comics. I'm not going to rush, but things are still pretty hectic, so I probably won't dawdle on these issues either. So it'll be, it'll be nice, succinct coverage. How does that sound? All right. So the first thing we're going to talk about today, or on this episode... Is X Men Legends number eight. So this, of course, is written by Larry Yama, with art by Billy Tan, colors by Chris Sotomayor, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. The cover is by Tan and Sotomayor, um, and then there's also a Scott Williams and Sebastian Cheng cover that I got. And this all features Wolverine versus Omega Red. I mean, that's where we're going. Uh, the Scott Williams one has Omega Red big in the background, then a pile of hand ninjas on the bottom, and then Wolverine squaring off against Lady Deathstrike on the front. So what happens in this one is basically, you know, Wolverine is, is hacking his way across the dock of the bay uh, with these, these terrible child smuggling ring that Lady Deathstrike is um, aligned herself with. And he's just cutting his way through. And one of the kids that he's trying to save has the ability to teleport. And she teleports one of the bad guys to the tiger pen at the local zoo. And then, of course, skedashes her way right out of there and leaves him there. Uh, so Wolverine continues to cut his way through these guys, 
whiffing along the way. So in addition to the other sister, uh, Lady Deathstrike and her crime boss also took Jubilee. So they got them some shipping containers. Um, Jubilee is able to use her path power to start getting through the ropes that bind her a little bit. Um, and they go to make their delivery. And they, you know, say, unfortunately, they don't have one of the kids that they wanted, but they got Jubilee instead. And then we see Jubilee path her way through the lock and come out. And the mysterious buyer is not happy. And then um, Wolverine shows up with the teleporting kid. And we get a nice double snick as Lady Deathstrike jumps back into action. And we get a nice panel of, like, super speed action and then, like, slicing at each other. It's kind of funny, but also pretty awesome. Um... And we get some more, just some really good fight between uh, Wolverine and Lady Deathstrike. And just slashing and hacking at each other. Uh, Jubilee holds her own to get some ninjas that show up. Uh, and the kid teleports some of the ninjas to like this toxic swamp <laughs> when there's mines. It's funny, she says, I hear you ninjas can walk across wet rice paper without disturbing it. This shouldn't be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> and she says yes to the reader almost more than the ninja. I did memorize a lot of locations like this, you know, a, a, a swamp full of mines, a, a den full of tigers, um, just for situations like this. So then finally the buyers had enough of all this fighting, and these tentacles come out of the truck, and of course it is Omega Red, and he has a mission to gather these Russian kids, I'm sorry, these mutant kids from the Russian government, and of course Wolverine and Jubilee stand in his way. Uh, Tan's Omega Red looks pretty great. It's pretty menacing. It looks pretty awesome. Uh, Wolverine, you know, continues to cut through, but Omega Red kind of gets him put down. But then a truck, and the boss tries to run over uh, Omega Red and get away, but and then they all get shot, and we see someone we haven't seen in a long time, but if you've been following the flashback episodes, she's not too removed from the podcast, and that is Bernie. And Bernie shows up with Sabretooth, and um, he's got a say in all this, too. He has some buyers or some, some clients that want <laughs> these kiddos as well, some kids, so Sabretooth as well. And, you know, it kind of feels like him, uh, you know, obviously X-Men Legends is, you know, looking back at characters or X-Men characters in a certain slice of time and kind of expanding, either expanding on stories or just telling a new story in that context. And I feel like Ham is doing this classic Hammer time and just pulling out some of the greatest hits as far as villains. You know, we had Lenny Deathstrike, then this issue, we immediately get Omega Red, and then on the last page, we get the reveal of Sabretooth and Birdie, um... And so, you know, it definitely feels like the story is really just more a backdrop for Hammer to have Wolverine quip and fight, you know, the greatest villains in the 90s. <laughs> Which, that's not saying that's a bad thing. Um, but at some point, you know, it kind of does become less about the story and the plight of the children to more of just, hey, look who Wolverine can fight. Um, but it's a good looking book. And. You know, I mean, it's Larry Hammond writing Wolverine, which is always nice. Um, the action's pretty good, and the story's enough. I mean, I, I don't know. There's not a whole lot to say about it, but it's fun. It's fun, and it looks good, and 
it doesn't play too well maybe it does it's pretty it's pretty heavily nostalgia driven but not in a bad way I don't know the Excaliburs are probably over there cringing at me sorry guys um but yeah uh like I said probably gonna keep some of these kind of short I enjoyed it though I really did I X-Men Legends number eight I think just like number seven uh, I'm gonna give this four out of six claws um, there's there's definitely enough there to enjoy and have fun with but it's not necessary I mean there's nothing groundbreaking about it it's just a nice fun romp through some 90s um, you know Wolverine kind of over in in South Asia doing his thing and fighting bad guys and the only thing that still really kind of bothers me is that while Death Strike definitely has some mercenary tendencies, I don't know. I, I have to remind myself that there's this period where Death Strike was just like kind of pure evil and not, you know, just someone who was on a mission to destroy Wolverine because of the whole adamantium aspect, but, you know, had other endeavors and motives as well. Uh, and there was a time when those were more just kind of classic villain. And this is definitely one, like aligning yourself with a, an, you know, an Asian crime boss and, and, you know, human trafficking is pretty despicable. So for a villain who sometimes has some likable moments, this is definitely not one of them. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so no sympathy for the devil in this issue. Uh, but anyway, like I said, X-Men Legends number eight, four out of six claws. So we're going to move on to Wolverine number 18. From past to present. From new past to current present. <laughs> uh, this is Friends Like These or Auction of Secrets, written by Benjamin Percy, art by Paco Diaz, uh, Lima, and then letters by VCs Corey Pennant, woohoo, designed by Tom Mueller, and then cover by Adam Kubert and Frank Martin. And the cover is pretty great. It's a Wolverine just kind of standing. In an alley, there's a light shining on him, and he's all shot to hell. Uh, oh, I just noticed he's, there's like a whole hole in his right thigh, <laughs> where you can see like his femur. Right? The femur's your thigh bone? Ah, what do I know? It's been a long time since I took medical biology. A real long time. Um, anyway, it's a cool cover. He's all shot to hell, but he's still grimacing at the audience, so there you go. Alright, so remember he is uh, meeting with Bannister, his CIA agent friend that he's been chumming with, about this Krakoan bug that he found uh, from the, the lady at the X desk. Um, and of course, when Bannister turned it in, his whole office was killed and destroyed. So he's on the run with this kid, um, and has reached out to Wolverine for assistance. And then at the hotel, in the last scene, he's met by Maverick, who has tracked him down. And that's kind of where we start off. Um, Bannister getting some snacks from the vending machine. Maverick gives him a quarter. Um, and he goes back to the room, and his hotel room is open. It's one of those classic, like, roadside hotels or motels where all the doors are on the outside. Like, you know, I used to stay when I was a kid, or you see in movies and stuff, you know, on, on family trips. And But the door is open. And so he pulls his piece, he runs in, and Wolverine's sitting on the bed watching cartoons with the kid. But then... And it's hard to tell from the, the paneling uh, if it falls out of Bannister's pocket when he puts his gun back, like it was planted, or if it's just thrown through the open door, but a, a, an explosive device lands at Bannister's feet. Wolverine's like, grab the kid and go, and he jumps on top of it, lets it explode in his chest. Uh, Bannister and the kid 
escape out the window. But Maverick is there with his mercs, and, and then they're, they want Bannister, and they have a job to do. Wolverine gets on to Maverick for betraying his own kind, but Maverick says, My own kind? There's only one Maverick, which <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what is about this this particular portrayal, but I'm kind of envisioning a young Val Kilmer. <laughs> you know, like Top Gun style Val Kilmer is Maverick, just kind of cocky, self-assured, um, somewhat of a jerk. <laughs> but um, anyway... So Bannister and his daughter steal a semi from the parking lot and crash through the hotel wall. And Wolverine jumps in and they, they ride off. And Wolverine's on the outside of the truck and he's cutting up Mercs. And he, he talks to Sage and directs Bannister to drive to the nearest Krakoan gate. Uh, Maverick gets in a helicopter they're shooting at the truck. Uh, Wolverine's cutting panels of the truck off and beheading guys in the air as they try to jump onto the moving truck. Um, he throws a slab of meat like a cow carcass at the helicopter blades and makes the helicopter crash. And then he is in classic style. So he's talking to Sage and he says, as soon as we get through, disable the gate. So they ride the semi through the gate. Of course, Wolverine's sitting on the nose of the truck, so I guess they can access the gate. It's kind of a cool visual. Um, and then the gate shuts, and the helicopter tries to fly through, but it can't, and it's just kind of classic cartoon. And then we turn the page, and in Krakoa, we literally see the semi having run through the gate and, like, skid down in Krakoan Hill. And, uh, of course, the uh, kid is amazed, and she makes a new kid friends in Krakoa, some mutant friends, they play basketball, and then Wolverine explains to Forge, he shows them the bug, Forge is like, yep, yep, that's what it is, and they're trying to figure out how much information has been leaked, uh, they block the gates from Maverick, they deny him access so he can't get back to Krakoa, and then Wolverine and Bannister try to come up with a plan, and, um, so basically, uh, Wolverine tries to kind of defend Maverick, like, talks about, like, his, his lack of moral compass with Bannister's not really buying it. But anyway, their plan is that Bannister's going to arrange a meet with, um, oh, what's her name? The lady from the X-Desk has the name. We didn't know it for a long time, but now we do. And now I'm having trouble finding it in my notes. Dolores Ramirez. Um, so Bannister agrees to meet at the diner where he found the bug, and Dolores admits that they're using the technology, but denies any culpability in Bannister's office getting wiped out or having hired anyone, any mercenaries, to go after Bannister and his daughter. And so Bannister's starting to really get confused, and we see, of course, Wolverine sitting at the bar at the diner, or at the counter, uh, with a coffee and a cowboy hat. Um, you know, listening, you know, the super hearing. Um, but then, uh, Ramirez gets shot, shot through the arm, shot through the arm, and someone's to blame, giving love a bad name. Um, the Wolverine, of course, traces kind of the line of sight back. He jumps through the diner window with his claws out. He sees an assassin on the roof, and he uses his claws to climb up the brick wall. Uh, he gets shot by the assassin, but still pursues. And then Maverick comes in and says, Great distraction. And now he's got a gun on Bannister and Ramirez. And says, Just give me the bug and no one has to die. Uh, Wolverine chases the assassin across the rooftops. 
um, Bannister hands over the bug. Maverick leaves, gives Bannister back the quarter. Bannister's attending to Ramirez, trying to, you know, help with the wound. Um, and we find out that it wasn't, obviously, the ex-desk Ramirez was telling the truth, but it's the auctioneer. Remember when uh, we found Maverick again, L- Logan and Maverick were captured and being auctioned off by the auctioneer. Um, and so the assassin's like, I got a message, and Wolverine says, oh, I have a message for the auctioneer as well. So the, the assassin, Wolverine, had fought him, and he's hanging on to the ledge of the roof. And Wolverine, a very brutal move and a pretty awesome move, um, says, here's my message. And he pops his claws and he cuts the guy's fingers off on the ledge. And so the guy falls, I guess, to his death. So I'm not real sure what message he's supposed to deliver. And then we find out that the auctioneer is in Texas. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Some good press from the, in the home state. Um... And he's meeting with Maverick, and they're they're kind of mad that they failed. But Maverick's like, well, here's the bug. I got the bug back. And so he's, you know, bummed that he and Wolverine ruined kind of his business for a little bit. But now he's trading in secrets instead of items. And he hired Maverick, you know, you know paid him enough to, to want to do the job. But then they start listening to the bug, and we hear... I hurt myself today to see if I still feel playing on the laptop from the bug. And we go to the Krakoan beach where Bannister and Wolverine are having a beer. And they talk about how they replaced all the data on the bug with them doing Johnny Cash karaoke. <laughs> Which, of course, you know, we know from the the lyrics is the Nine Inch Nails song. But if you remember, if you don't know... Uh, Johnny Cash, of course, covered uh, the Nine Inch Nails song, Hurt, before he died. You never heard of that. Do yourself an arrangement um, to make up for the bad information. So, the story's pretty fun. So, Paco Diaz is a former Wolvie Award-winning artist. <laughs> Remember, he did that in Japan's Most Wanted, that uh, before we had Marvel Infinity Comics, we had those Marvel... I don't remember what they were called, but they're like the motion comics where the, the panels kind of moved and like overlaid and stuff. And it was pretty cool. It was a great story. Um, Wolverine going back to Japan and doing some cool stuff. And the art by Diaz and that was really good. It really impressed both Denise and I when she was covering that with me. And and Ern K? I don't know. It's not as dynamic. And I don't know if this... Excuse me. The inks or the colors... Um, I think, yeah, so he's doing his own inks here. I can't remember on Japan's Most Wanted if he did or not. Of course, I do know that was colored by the impeccable Marte Gracia. That was kind of towards the beginning of his rise to be one of the best colorists in comics. Um, and, and nothing against Sonomayor. He's a fine, or no, he's a litterer. No, Pendus a litterer. So anyway, or is not, he just did the cover. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so nothing against uh, Tataglia and Lima. But maybe it's just the color's not popping quite as much that is, is hurting Diaz's art a little bit. It's, like I said, it's not bad. It's just not as dynamic or as vibrant and, and as exciting as I remember his art being. And really, because I feel like he's also done a couple of recent issues of Fantastic Four. Maybe. I hope I'm not confusing him with somebody else. 
and they were good too because uh, you know R.B. Silva's been doing that book but you know obviously like all books there's a fill-in artist from time to time and I thought Diaz did that maybe I'm wrong um, I've been covering that book as closely as I did when it started but um, that was still pretty good I guess <laughs> ringing endorsement um, but yeah I don't know I mean I enjoyed the story I enjoyed kind of tying you know, more of the bands for stuff in. I've enjoyed his character, kind of, you know, CIA agent Lebowski. Um, has been fun. Um, yeah, I think I'm going to give Wolverine 18 four out of six claws. Maybe wish we had a little more exciting art. I'm going to bump that up to a five for sure, I think. Uh, but overall, I'll give Wolverine 18 four out of six. Definitely curious to see where it goes. Definitely still enjoying you know, Percy as a Wolverine writer. I feel like he definitely knows the character and it's been a good story. Um, we'll kind of see what happens with Maverick and, you know, keep going from there. Alright, so next up, I'm going to catch us up with our segment to Infinity and Beyond and we're going to talk about the Marvel on X-Men Unlimited Infinity Comics. We're going to talk about issues 9 through 12 of the X-Men one first. Now these are written by Jerry Dugan with art by Emilio Liso. Emilio! Uh, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg. Letters by V.C. Josephino. Of course, production by Annie Cheng and Tim Smith III. And we'll start with number nine. So remember, this this current story is kind of Nature Girl and her friend Curse and the German Shepherd they found going on uh, ecological revenge porn. So they're attacking this refinery, uh, Roxon. Um, or no, no, it's not Roxxon. This is a different one because the the person accuses Roxxon of hiring them. But um, anyway, have this um, uh, I don't remember the name of the Serpent Squad, Black Mama, um, is fighting, defending the the factory and fighting them. Um, and they they do that and they go through that and there's some fighting and of course Curse continues to um you know, see, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Anyway, Curse and Nature Girl fight Black Mama not really very well. Um, but they're doing that. And then at the very end, there's some pretty cool art where Black Mama causes Nature Girl to see her worst fears. Um, and what uh, really her worst fear is she sees like the scenes of what she's done to get to this point uh, the people she's hurt and killed but at the end she decides it's kind of worth it and it's okay so it kind of backfires and Black Mama's like alright well you got some stones and then um, and then Saron shows up uh, and they had ruined his laboratory and so <laughs> that's that one um, so then um and number 10, I think this is where Wolverine shows back up. Um, maybe not until the end, though. So, yeah, so 9 and 10, uh, we see where uh, Emma, Frost, and her entourage are um, basically being served for wrongful death. So Emma takes it back to the council and says, you know, Nature Girl has murdered a human that's broken one of our laws. We need to retrieve her and put her on trial. Um, and so, of course, Wolverine's going to be sent to track her down again. Um, 
I will say, so as far as the art and the personality, like the best part, like adding Saron to this and just having a kind of cheesy, maniacal Saron um, and drawn very, very well was a big win for this story art. Like Saron's addition really helps. Um, so Xavier tries to reach out to Nature Girl. Nature Girl shuts her down, says, I'm not coming home. I am on a mission. Uh, so Black Mama continues to fight. Then we get a big snick as Wolverine shows up. And he's there to try again to get Nature Girl. And that's what we're going to do. So that's number 10. Now let's go on to number 11. So then Wolverine is now trying to recapture Nature Girl and Curse. Uh, he's getting some resistance. He gets shot. He fights Saron. Uh, Saron, again, is just amazing in this. Um, looks great. Is awesome. Uh, has a stare down with Black Mamba. Wolverine jumps in, fights him. They fly around and cut each other and uh, curse, curses Wolverine so he keeps accidentally stabbing himself. <laughs> Wolverine's like, you better run, kid. Um, and Nature Girl goes and she's still trying to like, blow up the refinery. Uh, curse and Saron bond and... Um, we find out the curse likes to be mean to people because we, when she she can wish nice things, but it hurts her. For whatever reason, she wishes like positive things, it, it hurts her. And so um, Sarah was like, "Awesome, love it." Uh, Wolverine jumps on, gets the kid. There's some explosions. The nature girl is blown up the refinery. Wolverine's like, "You've lost it." Um, Wolverine punches out and curse. We get a double snitch. He tells Saron to fly away. Nature Girl says, do it. And Saron says, I like you, Nature Girl. We get a snacked. Um, and he says, you haven't seen the last of me, Wolverine. There's more explosions. Um, Nature Girl says, this will be a good death. She's really to fight, ready to fight Wolverine. Wolverine's like, there's been enough death. Pulls his claws. And we get an awesome shot. It looks like, like I guess the assumption, right? You're reading this digitally on your iPhone or iPad. And it looks like he's punching through the screen. Like, like you're, it looks like your screen is cracked. It's a really nice shot. Really good use of the medium. Um, as Wolverine's nature going home and he punches Nature Girl out. Um, that's going to take us to number 12, which is the most current issue of X-Men Unlimited. And in this one, basically Nature Girl is on trial. And really the gist of it is Wolverine's kind of reluctant. Um, doesn't really like that it's come to this. But he does his job. He turns it over to the council uh, with Curse as well. They argue about it a little bit. Um, Nature Girl defends her stance. Says, you know, Krakoa, you know, the Earth is in trouble. She said she went to Mars and just tried to get away from it all. But the, everything there felt too differently. Like her nature powers are tied specifically to Earth and this environment. So she felt foreign on Mars. Nightcrawler says, you know, the council will decide what it does, but whatever they do, I will, I'll try to help you. And she's like, no, I don't need your help. I did my actions, whatever. So then Doug says, Krakoa's not real happy about what's going on. But they don't really listen. Um, and they decide, of course, to throw them in the hole. Um, and so they do. The hole comes and gets them and pulls them down and then spits them out. And Doug comes and finds them reunites him with the German Shepherd and basically says Krakoa is not going to allow you 
to be punished for defending the earth even if your actions were not necessarily the best um and basically says that Krakoa is paroling you. I mean, you can't, you can't, you can't disobey the council like directly. So you can't be on the island. So you've been disavowed. And basically says, go out in the world and do your thing. Try to keep a low profile. Um, Pyro has a marauder. He's going to take them where they need to go. Krakoa makes them a Krakoan walking stick. Um, and it says, good luck on your mission. And then we see Krakoa smiling. And it says, X-Men Green will return. Um, and there you go. So, if you remember, I didn't really like the way this story started. I felt like it had maybe some problems and wasn't incredibly overly interesting. But uh, adding Saron was amazing. And I really kind of like the ending and the way they addressed it. Like, we don't agree with your actions. You broke the law. We have to uphold you know, the punishment fitting the crime, we can't give an exception, blah, blah, blah. But then is like, well, actually, I don't wholeheartedly agree with what happened, but she was, in a way, defending me by defending the Earth, and so maybe if I can just give them another chance and hope that they do things a little bit better, that'll turn out a little better. It's like a big gray area, maybe more X-Men gray than X-Men green. Um, I don't know, it just ended in a better place than me. I didn't necessarily love it. I will say also, Emilio Lysos' art is really good. I really like it, and they play well in the format. Um, the colors are nice and crisp by Rochelle Rosenberg. Um, so the art was never the issue, and the story got a little better. I won't say it like, got awesome, but it got better. Um, so I'm going to give X-Men Unlimited 9 through 12 in the Infinity Comics. Um... It's kind of like a three or three and a half claws out of six. I'm um, not quite ready to jump to the four area, but you know it's a very solid three. Much better than kind of the first half of the arc. Uh, so the next thing we're going to do in these uh, unlimited... Oh, what happened? Where did my infinity stuff go? Um, it's going to be the giant size little marvels infinity number eight. And basically, this issue is a far stretch written by Scotty Young, art by Dax Gordine, colors by Jean, Jean-Francois Boileau, letters by Nate Picos of Lambot, production by Chang and Tim Smith III again. Um, this is a fun one. And basically, um, we're at the Baxter Treehouse, which I love that that's what it is. And the Fantastic Four phone rings and reads in his lab and he answers it. And Johnny wants to cook out. And Reed doesn't want to leave his lab, but he stretches his arm basically all the way through the base. And we use the infinity concept to see his arm literally stretch for panels at a time. And just stretching and stretching. And there's a, a, movie, a monster movie in the little mini theater with Hulk thing, Juggernaut, Blob, and Colossus. Um... And the arm continues to go through. We see um, uh, Annihilus trying to get out of the negative zone. The hand keeps going and goes down an elevator. Um, We see Deadpool just for no reason. There's a rec room where we have Captain America, Black Widow, and Wolverine having a campfire on the Human Torch's head. Uh, And Wolverine, of course, has his hot dog on his claws because he's gross. (laughs) Uh, The arm continues to go through. He helps spot the invisible woman as she's lifting weights. He has little Willie Lumpkin. 
and he gets the answers to the door where the pizza guy is there and he stretches his arm all the way back, pulls the pizza into the room for everyone to have a pizza party and, you know, Reed's like, ugh, exhausted. It's nice and fun and cute and a solid four out of six claws. Um, so, yeah. All right, next up, we're going to talk about X-Force number 25. So this is Surf's Up, or The Edge, written by Benjamin Percy, art by Robert Gill, colors by Guru Effects, uh, letters by VCs Joe Caramani, and designed by Tom Mueller, cover by Josh Kassara and Dean White. And the cover has Wolverine back to the audience, in the waves, and we have some bad guys on a surfboard shooting guns at him. Um, it's fine. <laughs> Kassar is really grown on me. I like him a lot, a lot, a lot, and this cover is fine. I wish he would have done the inside. Um, anyway, so Wolverine is talking to Forge, and Forge has made him a surfboard made from the finest Krakoan wood and laced with adamantium, so it can be a surfboard and a weapon. And then we see Dead Mutant Cove on Krakoa. And Logan takes his new Silver Surfer board, is what it looks like, <laughs> out there. He's doing some surfing and talks about the rush, which uh, there's a lot about. So this is kind of like Wolverine Point Break, right? <laughs> or <laughs> whatever you want to call it. Um, it's weird, because I mean, Wolverine is not restricted to Canada. And I'm sure there's Canadians that love to surf, too. There's a, a really big skate movement up there, so... Hi, Pat. Uh, but maybe, you know, surfing goes along with that. I don't know. Um, I don't know. Maybe rugged out... Maybe it's just a weird dichotomy in my head that separates kind of surfing beach bums from, like, rugged Dakota Western <laughs> kind of attitude. But, um, either way, I mean, it definitely makes sense that he would want... The rush, the thrill of surfing, being in danger, putting your life at risk to feel alive, you know, that office Wolverine. So either way, he's out doing the surfing. Um, and then uh, Phoebe meets Quentin. The uh, other sisters are worried that she's becoming too independent. They're not worried that she's, like, she's dating the right guys, that she's dating anyone. And maybe she won't be as much a part of the hive mind. And so they're giving her a really hard time. But she's really sweet on Quentin. And then go, and Quentin goes to the Bower, which, of course, is where all the new mutants are born in Krakoa. Um, it has a nice big arch that says, Make More Mutants. It's really funny. It's really sweet. Quentin Clark is really sweet in this uh, issue and in this arc. Uh, Percy's really kind of expanded his character and grown him up a little bit. And then we get a nice double-page spread. Whether you think Wolverine's we'll deserve or not, this is an awesome-looking page of him just riding his adamantium surfboard which okay when an adamantium surfboard work uh we talked about this with some of the guy uh, other x podcasts on twitter and then talked about how it was only laced and, and edged and that's all perfectly well and fine but i i think a surfboard that big even if it's a really really thin layer of adamantium it's still gonna be kind of heavy but i don't know maybe it's fine we do know that wolverine doesn't normally swim like he did the last issue, or a couple of issues ago of X-Force, where he was like just swimming along <laughs> with his huge, heavy adamantium skeleton. But anyway, this is a nice page. Nice double-page splash of Wolverine surfing. 
Uh, he pops his claws for some reason and drags his claws through the waves he's surfing and then he crashes. Hits some coral, gets some blood, and doesn't feel very good, but he's rescued. He's rescued by this lady. And, and the more she talks, she's obviously trying to get information. She's pumping Wolverine for information about Krakoa. But they found the cove and they surfed together and Wolverine starts to fall for her. Um, but then Quentin gets a psychic alarm and is Phoebe and she's breaking up with him. But also um, there's an alarm and the girl that saved Wolverine and her friends are stealing babies from the bower. Uh, stealing mutant babies and getting away. And we know that's not going to end well. And of course she betrayed Wolverine which you knew was going to happen. Um, so the art, a little bit would have been disappointing drop from Kassara, but Robert Gills does some good stuff. Remember, he was one of the artists on Iceman, which the Scott Rose and I liked a lot. Um, the art's pretty good. The story, I mean, the idea of someone coming in and, like, kidnapping the babies, either to sell or to experiment or whatever, is interesting. Um, and the choir Phoebe melodrama is interesting. The surfing stuff and kind of the point break stuff doesn't necessarily appeal to me. I don't I wouldn't say it's bad or whatever, it's just my personal taste. I don't really love it. Um so I'm gonna give X Force number twenty five three out of six claws. I also I know like I understand being smitten and I understand that guys are dumb and will overlook a lot of things because a girl is hot, but it just seems like Wolverine Especially in his own comic, having just gotten on the floor and tried being too loosey-goosey with security. He's awfully, like, accommodating to these people that show up out of nowhere, surfing Krakoa, and just because, like, oh, we're surfing buddies, so whatever, I'll just tell you everything, I'll just start talking. It's like, I don't know, it's a little weird. It's not bad, it's just not great. So X-Force 25, 3 out of 6 claws. So I wasn't sure I was going to talk about this next one, but we do get a Wolverine appearance of sorts. So we're going to talk about X-Force Killshot. I think it's a one-shot, but it feels like there's more story, so I don't know. But anyway, this is uh, Rob Liefeld does the story, Pencils and Inks. Gets a scripting assist from Chad Bowers. Colors are by Brian Valenza, Federico Blee, and Mirza Wirawan. And letters by V.C. Josebino, and then the cover by Liefeld and Alejandro Sanchez, and it's an X-Force shot. It looks fine. And we'll, we'll get into that um, as we kind of go through. Basically, this is Cable versus Strife for all the Marvels, and Cable has a called together a super team across time. So different versions of Cable. We have the major X character that Liefeld recently not recently, a couple years ago, I guess, um, introduced to the X-Universe. Um, we have a couple of different Dominoes, a couple of different Shatterstars, a couple of different Deadpools, you know, pulled from different points in time. And their mission is to go get Strife because he has this new giant techno-organic cannon, this giant space cannon aimed at the Earth. Um, and so yeah, Cable assembles his team, and he runs through, and they go to the, the space base, and they fight Strife, and Strife has also handpicked his own out-of-time MLF team as favorite MILFs, and, um, you know, yeah, they just kind of all go around and fight, and at the end, it's going to be Cable 
regular old man cable, older man cable like Noah, um, and Major X are going to be the three to, to confront Strife. And so they do so, and turns out that Major... So Major X, of course, is the A, not the A future version, where Cable and Storm have a, a son. And I guess there must have been some techno-organic material on Cable's little spermies. So he gets mutant powers from both his mom and his dad, but he also is genetically infused with the techno-organic virus, which... We're coming, I'm interested to remember, because we're coming up on the Fanglix Covenant in the flashback episodes before too long. Probably sometime early spring we'll get there. Um, but, I mean, isn't the whole concept of the techno-organic bonding with you on a genetic level? So it makes sense, right? It would be in Cable's um, genes <laughs> that he gives to Storm. Um, but, yeah. So, Major X has kind of a more subtle T.O. Um, and you can control it and he doesn't have to like fight with it or anything. And it's also gold. And somehow he can use that to interface and stop the cannon. And he does, but what that does for some reason is opens up this portal and we get like the uh, Reminder era Uncanny X-Force, like Wolverine, and then a, a Venom pool in gray and black or silver and black, which I don't remember, and then, of course, Deadpool in that costume. And they show up for some reason, and then this, like, Anti-Zero shows up. So instead, you know, Zero, the character who was Strife's kind of silent buddy, we find out he's like an android and stuff later in the Cable series. Um, but he's all white, covered in a full bodysuit, including his face, and he has a black zero on his chest and face. So this anti-zero person shows up who is all black and has, like, glowing white rings, or almost bluish-white, with a light on his chest and face. And this is a really big, scary deal for some reason. And Cable decides, well, I'm going to get in team, we're going to go stop him. So it's the last team that says the end is Cable, and then the X-Force versions of Wolverine, Venom Pool, and Deadpool, and then Major X. And it sounds like they're ready to go on a new mission, but I don't think there's another issue with this. I don't know if there'll be another one-shot or not. Maybe it all depends on sales. I don't know. So, I know Liefeld's turned out to be kind of uh, a jerk, <laughs> and that's unfortunate. Um... And maybe he always was. I feel like there's a period, and I, I've, I don't want to beat this dead horse. I've talked about it before. I've talked about it with some of the guests before on the show. There's a period when he first got on Twitter where it seemed like he was just kind of a super comic fanboy and loved everything. And then, whatever the intentions, I think he just got kind of shit on a little bit and kind of took that personally, which don't necessarily blame him for that part, how he reacted to that, maybe. It seems like he swung from being, like, just loving everything about comics and just celebrating comics, at least vocally, to settling more with the people who had his back, which would be all kind of the nostalgic for the 90s in the worst way crowd, and then and then also kind of the Venn diagram with the comic gators and some of that bullshit. And, um... Liefeld kind of circled in the wagons of people who 
definitive or still liked his style. Um, and has unfortunately kind of been a poor, went from kind of being like a good spokesman for comics when he first got on Twitter to not so much. Um, so all that aside, his art in this issue is actually not that bad. Um, it was, there's definitely still some of the anatomy problems that come with Liefeld. Like there's one scene where Deadpool is jumping through the air and his leg is bent. And the, the bend actually looks fine unless you study it and then his knee. It's like an action figure knee. You know how the maybe the piece of the knee uh you think like old G.I. Joe figures, right? There's like a hinge on the bottom part of the leg connects to the top part of the leg. So it bends in the knee, but really in the figure there's this giant like slot that comes out of the thigh that goes into the knee. And this thing, this is the drawing of Deadpool kinda looks like it has this knee that goes past the bend. And it's just like this knee that if you unfolded the leg as it was, his knee's like his own it's not a knee on kneecap on top of a leg. It's like his own second leg part. <laughs> it's weird. So there's some stuff like that that's obviously like weird and, and classic life. I just miss uh, anatomy. But um, for the most part, though, it's actually pretty good art. Um, you know, it's the kind of dynamic art you're used to from Liefeld. Some of the reasons that those of us that, that did kind of fall under the spell in the 90s, this provides... You know, some examples of why you did. Um, the color works really well. And even the story is not terrible. Like, it's not great, right? It, is, it doesn't really fit maybe kind of modern storytelling sensibilities. But if you kind of read this through the lens of just being a big, dumb 90s action movie with just lots of fighting and, and one-liners... It's kind of fun in that way. You know, kind of the old, old like Bruce Willis as Cable. If you just kind of make this all, and this is X-Force Die Hard, then I think you can enjoy it. And I kind of did. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not at all saying it's a great comic. Okay? Um, and so those of you who, who were quick to really kind of not like this style of comics, and this is not going to win you over, but I don't think it's purely just a nostalgia grab either. I think it's it's just it's a blockbuster popcorn comic that is done through the lens of just like your your diehards, your face-offs. It reminds me a little bit of Face Off, right? Um, and the Rock, kind of those kind of movies, Con Air, like just big bad action and. and if you don't try to read too much into it, um, it's really, it's not too shabby. So, I'm going to actually give X-Force Killshot, uh, I don't know, four out of six claws, maybe? It seems maybe a little too generous, I guess we'll see, but, um, I don't know. I, I had fun with it, and I'm going to apologize for that. So, <laughs> there you go. Alright, so we have a couple other things to talk about. We're going to have to take a break. Um, so, there's a slight pause or any weird noises. I'm trying to hook these uh, audio links back together. Uh, you'll know why. But, um, yeah, we'll reconvene here in a little bit. We're going to talk about uh, 
Dark Ages, number three, and then uh, Gambit's Gumbo and Excalibur, number 25. So we'll be right back. All right, and we're back. So, last to talk about, we have just a couple of things. We're going to talk, uh, we're going to talk about Dark Ages, number three. Written by Tom Taylor, art by Yvonne Quello, colors by Brian Reber, letters by VCs Joe Sabino, and the cover by Quello and Frank DiMarta. And on the cover, we have Apocalypse ripping the steampunk armor off of Iron Man and Mr. Fantastic wrapping him up in his arms to capture him. So, we start off with um, a giant splash page of Human Torch flaming on, but it turns out it's just heating up a tea kettle for a children's tea party. And we have, of course, an aged Peter Parker and Luke Cage watching as um, you know, Danny and Mayday and someone else have a tea party. Um, and they're just they're talking about it, and Jessica Drew shows up and explains that Stark is missing. So we go back to the lab where Wolverine, as Laura and Gabby, are sniffing out the scene. Uh, Blade's helping, and they trace back to where Stark was kidnapped, and Wolverine recognizes Mystique's scent. And then Dr. Doom shows up and is really, really annoying <laughs> and says that, you know, this is what happens and, you know, they need to find Tony real fast. So they send Quicksilver to do that real fast. He goes over uh, to Europe to try to figure out if he can find where Tony Stark is before Apocalypse sees him, but he sees his dad. And remember, Apocalypse is using Magneto as kind of the center of this giant Faraday cage to get electricity back in this dark world um but quicksilver is taken by surprise and he's overtaken and the purple man takes him over and sends him home and of course he betrays all his friends he, he breaks Akoyo's neck um he puts a spear through johnny torch which makes him start to go supernova um you know, it's funny because it talks about that it takes jing gray only a second to get a hold of his mind and stop him, but in all that time, he does all that damage in just that one second, um, which is kind of a cool panel. Um, and Sue, of course, tries to comfort Johnny, but he implodes, blows up. Um, Sue protects herself and her friends with an invisible force field. There's a really just heavy scene of her crying as Johnny's ashes blow out of her, her clenched fist. But she also finds out that Reed is alive because Quicksilver wakes up. He doesn't know what's going on, but he says he saw Reed and Franklin. So Sue, you know, Peter, who's our narrator, says, you know, it was decided right then what was going to happen. So Sue's going to put a strike force. They're going to go fight Apocalypse in Europe. And that's going to be that. The art in this is wonderful. The story is fun. Um, Seeing Quicksilver kind of used in the way he was was great. Seeing Laura and Gabby still play an important part of this story um, is fun. Uh, I'm still really enjoying this. Uh, five out of six claws for Dark Ages number three. That was quick, huh? <laughs> All right, last up, just for Grant, we have Gambus Gumbo and Excalibur number 25. This is Enemy of Man or Come Fate into the List, written by Teeny Howard. Art by Marcus Toe, colors by Eric Arseniega, letters by VCs Joe Caramania, designed by Tom Mueller, cover by McMoon Azrar and Matthew Wilson. And on the cover we have uh, Captain Britain, Bet 
that scene fighting King Arthur and falling out of the starlight citadel. It's a good cover. All right, so remember, they're now kind of at war. Uh, Merlin and King Arthur and his armies have laid siege to Saturnine in the Starlight Citadel. Um, and yeah, and we, we see the reformation of Shrike, sorry, Strike, uh, which is like a British shield or whatever, uh, led by Pete Wisdom. And they invite uh, Betsy Braddock to be a part of it, but she's like, no, I will help you, but it has to be just Captain Britain. That's where my, you know, loyalty lies. And so, uh, Brian, Megan's daughter, uh, kind of formulates what she sees as going on in Otherworld. And so, Captain Britain and Excalibur go to defend Saturnine, which of course includes Gambit in his awesome costume by uh, Marcus Toe. Um, yeah, and so Merlin is trying to cast a spell to pull down the defenses of the Starlight Citadel. Uh, Saturnine's armies are attacking King Arthur and Merlin, and the battle just kind of goes back and forth. This is really like a lot of fighting and a lot of war strategy. Um, we get Jubilee and Shogo and all our favorite uh, Excalibur members uh, really trying to defend Saturnine. And there's a part at the end where uh, Betsy takes off her armor and fights Arthur and gets a hold of his mind and kind of lets him know what el everything else is going on says she will not back down. Um, Saturnine is the temple, the citadel is overtaken by Merlin and Arthur's forces, but they do save Saturnine. And Bessie says they're actually almost like, you know, we had this whole deal where Saturnine were really ten of swords. The whole event was about <laughs> her trying to get back with Brian. Um, but there's almost like, if she can't have one Captain Britain, maybe she can get out of the other. There's almost like a romantic tension between Betsy and Saturnine as she rescues Saturnine um, and they fall into like this space pit and land on a boat somewhere in the Sea of Secrets and Saturnine very seductively wakes Betsy up and to be continued um this is one of the first this issue came out several weeks ago and I read it when it came out and kind of just skimmed it again this morning so sorry if that was a little loosey-goosey. Um, Gambit doesn't do a lot in this issue. I mean, he just fights and stuff. Um, but the art is really, really good. The story is still pretty fun. Um, I've enjoyed this arc. So that's been good. And then, um, yeah, just, it's a really fun issue. I'm going to give Excalibur 25 a very solid 4 out of 6 claws. So that's going to do it for this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Like I said, hope everyone had a good holiday. I uh, don't know what will be next, but we'll definitely get there. I am trying to get the show back on schedule. Uh, speaking of the show, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at SnickCast. You can like the Facebook page. Um, and yeah, that's about it. So until then, everyone, stay safe and stay well. Hugs and Snicks. All right. Bye-bye. And snacked. <laughs>